The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about privacy rights, and we have the actual queen of privacy rights with us, my dear friend for over 20 years who I met because of a privacy issue, and she is incredible. She's one of our very favorite guests. We're happy to have her back, and that is Beth Givens, who is the founder and the director, the executive director of the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse in San Diego. It was established 25 years ago in 1992, and then I met her in 1996. And the PRC is a nationwide nonprofit consumer information and advocacy organization, and it's in beautiful San Diego, California, down, down the freeway. The organization invites consumers to give their complaints and questions about privacy, and they do that on the website, and they provide more than 50 consumer guides on a wide range of information privacy issues. And you can see them at privacyrights.org. And if you go to our website at privacypiracy.org, we link to that website as well, right by uh, Beth's picture and her bio. And you will just link in is when this show airs, then it, the website will also have this interview. Beth and the PRC represent consumers' interests in public policy proceedings at the state and federal level. I've seen her testify several times, and it's been wonderful. She also co-authored a chapter on identity theft with me uh, called in Protection, Security, and Safeguards. That We did that little chapter together, but also... We did a little booklet called Privacy Piracy, and I love that name, and that's how this show got its name from the booklet that Beth and I did together. And she also wrote um, the Privacy Rights Handbook several years ago. Prior to her work as a consumer advocate, she was a librarian specializing in network development and resource sharing. She has a master's degree from the University of Southern California, and in in communications and a master's degree in library and information services from the University of Denver. And she is a member. She's a uh, member of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. 
and she has been on tons of TV and radio. She's been on our show many times, but she has been on just a ton because she is filled with wisdom and insight, and I'm just so glad to introduce you to Beth Givens. So, Beth, thanks so much for joining us again. Hi, Mari. Thank you very much. I I guess I don't really recognize the person you just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you just described, but I, I do thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've known each other a long time, and I right. I should really tell the audience that when I found out that someone had stolen my identity and I searched the websites for help in those years back in 1996, the only website that had anything was the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, and that's how I ended up meeting Beth and becoming friends and sharing information about identity theft because, because I became an expert by necessity, not by choice. <laughs> well, and, and I remember, actually, I remember that call back in 1996. And one of the reasons I remember is that you actually helped us a great deal uh, improve our website, you know, from the perspective of somebody who was experiencing identity theft. And, and you, you were just really great in, in your suggestions. Well, it was a pleasure. And, and also, I was on your advisory board for years and, That's right. and your board of trustees for a while, too, because Absolutely. I really support. Uh, you know, for those who are listening, this is the best nonprofit in the world, really, for all the great work that they do. And I strongly uh, su- suggest that you go there and get all this free information because it is really uh, enlightening and really helpful for people, no matter whether you're a victim of identity theft, that's one thing. But there's so many other privacy invasions in this uh, society right now that it's a probably one of the most important websites that I could tell people to go to. So let's start out, tell a little bit more about how you even decided to do this coming from being a librarian. How did, how did privacy become such an issue for you back in 1992? Yeah, well, that's, a, that's an interesting question because privacy definitely was not sort of the issue that it is today back then. Uh, I was um, managing a, a con- another consumer education project having to do with telephone services. And I I was at the University of San Diego at that time. And that particular grant was running out, and a group of us sat around the table, and we were brainstorming, you know, this is a good grant uh, opportunity. Um, What should we submit our next proposal on? And one of the people, I will fully admit, the idea was not mine, but one of the individuals in in that small group said, that he thought the next big privacy issue would be privacy. And, uh, you know, what we thought, well, that's really interesting. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized, yeah, this is, it would be really great to start a, uh, a project uh, dealing with uh, consumer education and privacy. So we did. We, we, uh, we got turned down a couple of times, but on the third attempt, we, we did get funded, and we started the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse at the University of San Diego's Center for Public Interest Law back in July of 19. 19- and of course that's 25 years ago. Mm. So we, at that time, of course, we weren't on the net. We didn't get on the internet till 1996, four years later. But in the meantime, we had an 800 number, and once we publicized uh, our the, our program, that phone rang off the hook. It was absolutely <laughs> amazing. And in those those days, the kind and you know, of course, we were like a, a as I explained, a kind of a dear Abby of privacy. We um we we hired law students to to answer the phone and 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 write our our consumer guides, and they did a terrific job. And so we answered people's questions and and you know helped them with complaints. But in those days the big issues were things like telemarketing and junk mail. 
And then, of course, it wasn't until, you know, the Internet became more a part of our everyday lives that online privacy became a much bigger issue. But other issues that we, you know, that we jumped on uh, as soon as we saw the need, uh, I think we were probably the first and maybe still one of the only organizations to deal with employment background checks. Right. And, uh, you know, that's an informational privacy issue, you know, what the, the, the information uh, that uh, background check companies and employers see are in these very large databases uh, that, that are comprised of information from public records uh, as well as, you know, commercial sources. And there's nothing worse than having erroneous information or information that's legally not supposed to be there, but, uh, you know, affecting your life. And I've talked with a couple individuals, and I bet you have too, Mari, yeah. who are actually homeless because of what's in their background check. It's the sort of thing that, you know, you want to stand on a street corner and scream. shouldn't happen to people, but it right, does. Right. People can be terribly disadvantaged because of erroneous information like that. So that's one of the big issues that we've we've dealt with over the years. But, you know, uh, uh, we, we cover kind of a whole range it's from financial privacy to, to data breaches to social security numbers, uh, online privacy, uh, data brokers, telephone, uh, online shopping, and, and, and workplace issues. I think that pretty much covers our topics. Yes. So you've really evolved in this 25 years. So yeah, we really have, yeah. <laughs> You've had to. I mean, what's great is you've evolved with the times, and that's that's been what's important. So, so what's kind of new that you've been doing in this past year? Yeah, well, we joined the 21st century in terms of our website. <laughs> Last year, we uh, went through a, a, an entire redesign. Uh, it was a major project, and um, uh, to, to update it, not only the, the way it looks, but also its features and, and how it operates. Uh, and we now have a blog, which we didn't before. We speak out on current topics on the blog. And then, of course, we continue to update. A, it's a very popular part of our website called the Chronology of Data Breaches, right. which we've had since 2005. And I invite people to go to our website. Uh, it's privacyrights.org, uh, as, as you said. And, and you can sign up for our mailing list um, on our homepage. Uh, and we invite people to, we, we don't worry, we don't spam you. And we're, <laughs> you know, we don't contact you all that often. So you're not going to be inundated. And you don't sell the list. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> That's important. No, no, it's wonderful yeah. to get your newsletters and see what is going on. So, yes, I, I love it myself. Great. So, what kinds of questions um, are you getting lately? You know, at your complaint center, what are what are the major issues that you're receiving complaints about? Well, I mentioned employment background checks already, and then right. we've had questions on, on. You know, those are heartbreakers, but we've mm. had those coming in for quite some time. Uh, another big issue for us is online data brokers, and that's been a big issue for us since like 2004, so right. you know, well over a decade. But people hate the fact that they'll do, a, say, a search on Google or whatever their favorite uh, search engine is. They'll search their name, and then I'll find out, oh my gosh, look, there are all these companies that have information about me, and they're giving it away or selling it willy-nilly, and I'm, I'm not giving them consent, and oh look, it's, it's not even very accurate. So that's a biggie, and that's like a, an evergreen for us. It's just almost, it's a constant complaint uh, for us, the third, uh, the third one that I, 
I find kind of interesting, but it's been one of the top complaints for a long time, and you're going to be surprised when you hear it. It's harassing phone calls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the, the carriers tell people who are getting these calls, well, you're just going to have to change your phone number. <laughs> but people don't, they don't want to do that. I mean, who does? Right. So I, I think that, you know, given the, the fact that this has been one of our top complaints for a long time, it's obviously a big problem. And I, I do think that the carriers need to come up with solutions that don't cost, you know, don't cost money. Right. Uh, there are solutions, but you have to pay a monthly fee for some of these features that will help you deal with harassing phone calls. And I just don't think people should have to do that. And you know, that do not call list doesn't even work. You know, I've, I've signed out on the Federal Trade Commission, do not call. Yeah. And I still get calls. It, you know, it drives me crazy. I, have, I know. I, you know, apparently nothing is being done when people make these calls. So they're, a lot of times they're out of the country or something. I, I just yeah. don't think that, that it's even, you know, I just hang up. But yeah. it's still well, it's harassing. Well, the other problem is that there, there are key types of, of calls that are not included in the law that created the do not call. And one is political calls, and right. people really don't like them. And the other is charity. Right. So those those two categories are not included in the do not call law. Um, and I think if you think about it, um, that that's never going to change. No. <laughs> For sure, the political one won't change. Maybe charity, but not not political. No, no. But I'm even getting those calls of someone saying about solar, you know, even though I say, do not call me, but I still get it. You know, they come up with a different number each time. Yes, that's right. They can can hide who they are. It's called spoofing. Yes, yes. Well, getting back to the background checks, because I think I get a lot of people calling me about that, that saying, what do I do, you know, and all these things. And you've got wonderful wonderful, wonderful help sheets, uh, your fact sheets right at privacyrights.org. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, the one thing that I've, that you and I have always worried about, and I don't know if anything's happening in legislation, is that, you know, for, for example, when we have an error on our credit report, we can go to the credit reporting agencies and we can dispute it, right? I mean, we can yeah. see it. With these background checks, we there isn't really a central repository that has everything like the credit bureaus do. No, there isn't. And I still think that that should happen. Do you remember Senator Bill Nelson was trying to introduce federal legislation in, in, from Florida? He was trying to introduce federal legislation that would make all the background check companies be subject to a very similar protocol as the uh, credit reporting agencies. And I just think that I testified on that, and I and I don't know why we still don't have something like that. Yeah, I know. I totally agree with you. One of the, I guess, the problems is that there are many, many, many background check companies. There are only three credit bureaus. But to me, that's just you know that's just a, something to to figure out how to deal with rather than being a, a true barrier. Right. Um, yeah. I. Uh, it's such an important thing for anyone, and it's not just job seeking. If you're looking for an apartment, right? A background check is going to be done. Um, so, yeah, we do need to address it legislatively. I'm not confident that it will be addressed. But at least, well, there's a good and bad. At least with the, the federal law, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, there's a section of that, a law that deals with background checks. And um, if, if the law says, anyway, if a, if a background check is done by a third party and it results in negative information about you, you should be given the opportunity to, to get a copy of that. And right. I think that that particular part of the law is, I think there's a great deal of non-compliance going on. Um, And by the way, I think that that law needs to be changed because you should be able to get that, that background check 
whether or not there was a negative decision made about you. Right. Be able to get it under, you know, what, what if the only way you could get your credit report is if something bad is on the credit report? That would be ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, you know, you need to be get it to get it no matter what. And that's a, that's a loophole. The other loophole is that law says that you have these rights when a third party conducts the background check. So when the employer itself conducts the background check, you don't have those rights. And so that's another, that's a tremendous loophole because I think more and more employers probably are doing the background checks themselves given the profusion of data brokers that can supply that type of information. Exactly. So, so you, you know, that, that's a loophole that has to be changed, although, again, I don't know if it's going to be. Now, is there anything I know that you uh, work together with other privacy rights nonprofits and other organizations? Is there any um, anything coming, any kind of legislation that might be pending that would heal that that those loopholes that you're talking about? No, not that I'm aware of. Mm. And, and you know, I, I it's always on my to do list for what we should be doing here in the California legislature. We've done some of that in the California legislature. So California's law is a bit stronger than other straight state laws, and certainly yeah. uh, than the Fair Credit Reporting Act. But my, I, I mean, this, this is going to sound pretty awful, but I, I just don't have a lot of faith in Congress to. No. <laughs> with consumer protection issues. That's why I'm, you know, I'm just so glad that we're in California as an organization and that we do have a very active presence in the California legislature because, uh, you know, a lot of what, what happens in the legislature regarding privacy, it goes on to be copied by other states and sometimes even, you know, little bits here and there will, will get into a federal law. So what's being done in California is just so very important. So those kind of loopholes at least about in, in California, I can't remember. You can if you mark the box, you're be you're able to get the background check no matter correct. what, correct? That's right. That's well, it. And you, we tell people to always check that box. Well, let me tell you something. This is and th- here I am at UCI, but they yeah. did uh, for for non students, which I'm not an, a student there, but I've been a teacher there. Um, you have to you had to um, give your fingerprints, do a live yep. scan, and do a background check. So I there was no box there. I said I want to get a copy there was no box on it and um and i said i want to get a copy of the background check and they said oh well we don't actually get a background check we only get a yay or nay oh (laughs) and so um they said no we can't give it to you and i so i wrote on the sheet that i allowed it i said i want a copy of the background check or whatever you get and i never got it i mean this happened a few months ago and i said you're really in violation of california law i have a right to get a copy of the background check Mm -hmm. and again they told me we only get a yay or nay. Well, apparently they got a yay because I still have the show. But <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that that sounds like something that should should be dealt with. Um, yes. Yeah. I don't know if legislatively or or in some other channel, but that just that doesn't sound right to me. No, it didn't sound right to me either. And um, but you know we only have so much time in the day. But I was thinking, and I, I have to follow up on that. I actually have it on my to do list as well. Of yeah. Why didn't I get it? And this is a violation of law. And Mm -hmm. You know, I did talk to somebody who said, oh, yeah, we'll get it to you, but they never did. So, Uh you know, I did call HR and I was uh, I tried to get a hold of the general counsel, too, because they're forcing us to do this background check. And um, I don't think anybody was said they couldn't have a show anymore, but it it was just kind of weird. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, to go back to what I said, I do think there's a lot of (laughs) noncompliance regarding the law for employment background checks. I think there's a lot. And when you think about 
you know, how important background checks are in people's lives in terms of their ability to get a job or rent an apartment, um, there really needs to be good consumer protection in, in, in the law. Absolutely, absolutely. And like you said, even if there was nothing against you, what if somebody was using my name and they were yeah. working somewhere else? Sure. I want to see it and say, wait, that isn't me. You know, I never worked as a dishwasher in mm-hmm. uh, Catalina Island or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, it still has an impression that's incorrect. So, yeah. so you're yeah. right. Okay, well, all right, so let's talk about um, a little bit about what people can really expect from businesses with respect to their privacy, because now we know every business wants to collect information, whether it's our email, you know, if we want to get something free on on, uh, on, the, on a website, uh, right. a white paper, we have to give, you know, our name, um, our business, our, uh, our email address, whatever. So yeah. w- w- what can we really expect? from businesses? Well, yeah, I think actually people are split personalities or two minds when it comes to their privacy expectations regarding businesses. And, and I'm going to lump in into businesses also the other organizations, educational institutions, healthcare, and government. So on the one hand, um, people do expect that our personal information will be protected. And I like to use the old-fashioned word stewardship to describe the care that I think all organizations should be taking with our personal information. But, and here's where the, the, the other, other side of the personality comes in, um, but on the other hand, given all the data breaches that we're aware of on a, you know, basically a daily basis, um, consumers really do doubt that their personal information is all that safe, and this is borne out in, in surveys. Um, there was a Gallup survey from 2015 about consumer trust, and it found that consumer trust has declined quite significantly. And they found that only 20% say that they have a lot of trust in companies they do business with to protect their information, and and a bit over half has said that their trust had decreased a Mm. great deal over the past year. Um, But this does vary by industry, and banks ranked very high, which I found very interesting. Banks rated 90% at at consumer trust. On the lowest level was social networks at about 20%, and everybody else is kind of kind of in between uh, frankly i wonder if banks would rank so high today though <laughs> given the wells fargo debacle right. that was recently exposed but you know i i'm of the mind and i have a feeling you are too mari <laughs> based on the work that we do that our personal information is at risk all of the time yes and that we basically must assume that it's in the hands of the wrong people all of the time <laughs> and yes that's an occupational hazard of, of what i do um but uh that's i, I think it's actually based is quite realistic um, but, it, you know, that's, we're just talking about kind of the fact that our information is at risk. There's also a lot in terms of actual practices. And I ran across, this will, this will fascinate you, I ran across a, a little news blurb in The Economist, which is, a, you know, a very credible uh, uh, news source. And they said that they found that a major credit card company had filed a patent application for a system to, and, and get this, estimate the weight of cardholders based on their purchase. Oh, oh great. That's, that feels yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> the clothes and the shoes they purchase. And then they're, they're proposing <laughs> to provide that information to the airlines oh. so the airlines could use it to assign seats based on your weight. Oh now, my God. yeah, this is a true and maybe, story. And then maybe to charge you more if you're over maybe. a certain amount of yeah. pounds. 
answer. Well, anyway, it was just a patent application, and, you know, there are lots of patent applications, and many of them are just plain crazy, but it's the kind of, you know, secondary and unexpected use of information that really angers people, you know, um, when especially they've certainly not given anybody their permission to use information that they had to provide, you know, to use their credit card right. for totally different. Um, we, we did a, a study in 2013 in which we looked at the privacy and security practices of mobile health and fitness apps. And you, you can imagine, you know, you're using a mobile app for health, your personal health information or your personal fitness information. Right. So that, that's sensitive information. But we found that most of, of these apps transmitted that personal data unencrypted over an unsecured network. And, uh, and they, they sent this data to several third parties without disclosing uh, that in, in the app's privacy policy or terms of service. And uh, we also found that a good number of them didn't have any privacy policy at all. So, you know, there's a lot going on that, that just is, is really is not very good in terms of privacy protection and also security. You'll get a kick out of this one, Beth. So I was called for jury duty, and, you know, I have my own office, so I don't have anybody else to work for me. Right. And so I went online to see if I could ask for an excuse, at least until I retire, you know. And mm-hmm. no one would want me on anyway because I'm an attorney, so the attorneys would probably kick me off anyhow. <laughs> but yeah. but I, I did that. And so it used to be that I could tell this, the reasons that I was doing it. And now they have this new thing. All they want, and they collect this, it's not even an encrypted site, and there's no privacy mm-hmm. policy with regard to it. They want to know my income and uh, my net income and my expenses. Wow. And that's all they want to know. So, of course, I saw that, and I said, I, I called up, and then I wrote a letter, and I said, look, I'm looking at the California Rule of Court, and all it says is for you to say what your reason is, what's your hardship, and what the source of your income, not what your income mm-hmm. is. Like, if the source is, I'm the sole source, right? So right. I wrote this, and um, and they denied it. They said, unless you fill out this financial thing, we're not going to let you out. So oh. I called up again and spoke to the director, and I said, I'll tell you over the phone, but I don't want it going on some unencrypted website. Right. And um, they said, no, you have you can fax it to me. So I then I went again, and I wrote another letter, and I said, I think this is wrong. So finally, I talked to the head person who said, no, the judges approved this, and this is what we're going to do. And it oh. would be interesting for you to look at what San Diego does, by the way, because yeah. they may do the same thing. So long story short, um, I did end up giving faxed it to the head guy so I could get out of my jury duty. However, I wrote to the presiding judge who supposedly accepted this new form. And I, and I, you would have been proud of me, Beth, that I said uh-huh. all the privacy issues, how it's not encrypted, how there's no reason, and it's not even following the, the California court rule. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, so people just do stuff like that. It's just well, amazing. Is, isn't it a sad testimony that you get the best security by using your fax machine? You know, I, I've seen that. I've seen that in other instances too. Our, for example, that our uh, the insurance, the health insurance we provide um, uh, our, our our employees. Right. Um, when you make a change, they'll you go, go online, use this service, or you can print this out and fax it. Yeah. Well, I fax it. Right. 
<laughs> and I was ready to just say it by phone, you know. I said, I'm not sure. putting, and it wasn't even an encrypted site. And I said, who has access? Well, it's just the people in the department. I go, have you ever heard of Dirty Insiders? <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah, that just happened. So it was really frustrating. And we'll see what the presiding judge says after I went through this yeah, whole well, privacy that's, that's issue. <laughs> very interesting. Well, good good for you. Go online and uh, for the San Diego court yeah. and see what they do to get there. It's right online, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. if I want to have an excuse why I can't get, see what they make you do. You'll find that, we'll see if it's the same thing. You'll have to let me know. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. So, um, do you see strong differences in how our different ages uh, view privacy? Like, I'm a baby boomer. Is it different yeah. from the Gen Xers versus all of the others? Well, yeah. And, you know, you know, I, actually, you can probably find just about anything you want, depending on which survey you read. But um, I think we've probably all read news stories that say that millennials, which those, that's the age 19 to 36, are less concerned about their privacy as other age groups. And these are called, uh, uh, there's a term for them, digital natives, because they've never, <laughs> they've never well, they've never known a world without the Internet. Right, so that's right. why they're called digital natives. Um, yeah, there was a, a Gallup survey that found that they are the most trusting of the businesses they interact with of all the age groups, especially banks. And um, they have most trust that companies will keep their personal information private. The least trusting are, are the baby boomers mm-hmm. of my age and then those who are older than us. But the, interestingly, the millennials have the least amount of trust in, in basically technology-related uh, uh, information gathering, and that's social networks and, and apps. So apparently just 4% of, social, of the millennials say that they actually trust their social networking websites and their apps. Of course, they, they use them a great deal. They just don't trust <laughs> them. Um, the, and the online retailers also fare quite, quite poorly in the survey, uh, not just with millennials, but with anyone. And just 10% of people in all generations trust them to secure our personal information. Now, I find that interesting because, of course... More and more of us, more and more of the time, are going online to shop. We're not heading down to the mall. Mm-hmm. And if I were, I guess, in the business of, of online retailing, I would be very concerned about that particular finding. Um, but I will say, and this is where I, I think um, uh, we, we get the other side of the coin, is from my personal observation, is that young people who've had a really bad experience, like identity theft, mm-hmm. or an erroneous employment background check, or a background check that said they couldn't get that apartment, um, they become instant privacy advocates, and, and I'll bet you you've seen that too. Once you've experienced uh, information about you being used in a way that harms you, you're a changed person, and you become a privacy advocate. Well, that's a perfect way to end because we want everyone listening to become a privacy advocate and also to get information from the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse at privacyrights.org. We are out of time, Beth. Oh, my goodness, we could talk all day. I love you, love you, love you. Just uh, So privacyrights.org, and we will have you back again, okay? Well, thanks, Mari, and congratulations on all your years with Privacy Piracy Radio Program. Okay, we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine at KUCI.org and the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.